I'm Aaron Newell, and this is OCR Audio, and Ryan Woods can't do obstacles. Hey folks, this is David Watson, VP of Product from Spartan. You're listening to OCR Audio. Hi everyone, I'm Rhea Kobo, and you're listening to OCR Audio. Breaking it down. Breaking it down. We're on recording. We're recording. Recording. Woo, woo. We've got Luke back. Look at you, Luke. Woo. He's got his hair left. No, he's yeah, I've just cut it off. There's still some. <laughs> it's, it's moving down my face. Luke so is a bad man at a dad before the baby's even come. <laughs> hey, it's getting close now. It's getting close. So uh, I've got to get into that character, basically. <laughs> so everyone knows you're an old man before you've even got the baby. Brilliant. Pretty much. All right, so let's break the shit down for people because <laughs> it's just gone nuts. Everyone doesn't know what the hell's going on. So as the official World OCR podcast, I feel like we should actually have the decent and proper information and we're going to bring it to you. So today we have got Ian Adamson on in the next sort of 10, 15 minutes. So before Rain gets on, what me and Luke are going to try and do in the most simplest terms is break down what World OCR is, what this new race is in the World Championships, Russia and everything on the simplest form. Then we'll mm-hmm. get Ian in and we'll, we'll grill in with some questions that we all want to know, you know. Uh, yeah. So simplest form, uh, Luke, let's go in. Let's, so who is Ian Amson and what is he? So... Ian Adamson is the president of World OCR. World OCR is the obstacle course federation, um, basically very similar to all other federations that sports have. Triathlon have federation, um, football, etc. Swimming, every kind of sport has a governing body, a federation, a kind of top organisation that, Decrees, rules, etc., competitions, championships. Um, the World OCR Federation are probably three, four years, maybe in the running. Um, Which I'll Adam- point out, Luke. It's also named FISO, isn't it? So Federation of International Sport, the obstacle, which is Swiss, because the federation Swiss. is actually based in Switzerland, which is why it says the instructable of obstacle D Federation. So it is Swiss, but. Yeah. Been going for five years. That's all we need to know. Based in Geneva, I think. So, um, yeah, World OCR, obviously, it's been a bit of a hoo-ha because they announced that they will have a World Championship event. Um, They will have a short course. They will have a ninja track and a classic kind of 12 to 13K obstacle course race. And this will be in Russia. Um, this will be September 17th to 20th kind of championship timing for OCR. All of the championship races seem to be kind of back end of the year, apart from maybe your European championships, which are kind of middle of the year. Although next year Spartans is a week before this one. So a load of people have gone, oh my God, what's happening with, well, um, OCR World Championships and Spartan and blah, blah, blah. So, break it down. Spartan Race is a brand like Ironman is a brand in triathlon. They have their own championship, world championship event as a brand. 
they probably have had the one of the longest running championship events in OCR. Probably um, the main reason why they get such a good crowd of your albums, your Atkins, your no. Nightmare Miracles, your people like that, you know, because they've been around for a long while, so they've got most of the big guys in. Yeah, they got a, they got a history of an, a world championship event, and also they put on the most money. <laughs> You're yeah. going to get the best, uh, the best racers. They pay out to twenty if deep, I believe, in this champ and the world championship. Yeah. Um. So yeah, big event, probably the longest running one. Um, our next kind of big, big event um, in obstacle course racing has been for many years OCR World Championships. This is part of the Aventry brand. Aventry also put on the North American Championships, the Enduro Championships in Australia. Um, they've had a hand in the South African Championships uh, the last couple of years and the World Championships for the last couple so- of years have been... To make that a little bit more basic for people, most people know that I own Field Fit. If I tomorrow was going to go put on a World Championships, I could call it Field Fit World Championships, invite John, invite Nicole, invite Aaron, invite all those people, you know, and I could have a World Championships. Doesn't make me or them a World Champion. No. I just call it World Championships. World Championships is just a title. It's a name. It is a tag. Um, for instance, if you look in the past, Warrior Dash in America, which is now a defunct race, had a world championships like 2012 or something or 2013. And they put on like some crazy prize pot and they had a load of the best obstacle course races, races turn up. Uh, but that was a one off. <laughs> that was an, a repeated thing. Um, whereas all these other brands have had continual championships. With World OCR, as they are a federation, this is in obstacle course racing, grand scheme of things, moving us one step closer to maybe a an Olympics or a being included in a very large multi-sport competition like a, a European Games, a, a World Championships um, of that kind. Um this is not the first event they've held in Russia. This this year, 2019, they had the Ninja OCR World Championships in Russia. Um, it was a very short course, very Ninja Warrior style-esque, um, very much dominated by the Russian athletes, I believe, only in the elite pot. Um, there was one non-Russian that made the podium. Uh, that was an Australian. Um, in the female side of things, other than that, I think pretty much uh, there was a lot of Russian athletes over there taking part and, uh, they came out on top in that. In this competition in September next year, there'll be a repeat of that ninja, but also a more classic style of OCR, which what we're all used to. There will be a short course and there will be a longer course. Um, Breaking it down a little bit more, even flipping it to probably the closest kind of relevant sport. Um, you're looking at like triathlon. Jack, you've had a big um, history of racing in triathlons. Yep. Um, yep. You've raced an Ironman. So looking at the world OCR, would you say this is more like um, the ITU? Yeah, um, that's what it is. So the ITU brought out a sprint. Olympic distance or standard distance, and then a 
long distance. I hate it when people call it Ironman distance. It is an Ironman distance, but it's not an Ironman. It's a long <laughs> distance, okay? So they're ITU, Olympic recognized. In fact, the only one that's actually Olympic recognized is the standard distance, which is the Olympic. So yep. Johnny Brownlee is an Olympic, or well, he's actually now long, but Johnny and, and um, Alistair. Alistair are Olympic distance champions. You know, they are mm-hmm. that mid-distance champions. They've then eventually gone, bored of this, let's go over to something else. They get into long distance or middle distance, long distance. Then you start having your own separate brands. So like for us, it's Spartan, it's OCR Adventure, it's one of those other races. For them, it's Ironman, it's Outlaw, it's Exterior, it's whoever they want to go into brand of. They can still be Olympic champion and break into the Olympics for the standards, but... It's completely different, but the same sport. Now, we had this with Ian when he was last on. The way he explained it, which is very easy, OCR, when it will get in the Olympics, and it will do, it will be a running sport discipline. It will be under athletics as a running sport. So OCR is just a discipline of running. So we Mm -hmm. will be running. And I imagine, this is something we could talk to Ian about, but I imagine if it does get in the Olympics, it will be a round-the-track shorter course style maybe mixed between a bit of running and a bit of ninja we don't know yet he probably doesn't even know yet but it will be definitely tailored towards the spectators friendly style of race you know fixed steeple chase probably a bit longer than funeral obstacles so that's pretty much how it is what i think people are confused about is well where's this world ocr come from they've always been there They've always been officiating. They've always been there. It's just that they actually haven't put an event on for the four or five years they've been established. This is the first time they've put an event on. This will, first world, like classic world championship yeah. event. And this will be the first official world championship. You will be able to class yourself as a world champion when you win this race. So yes. huh. qualifications, we don't know yet. That's something we need to ask them about. Why Russia? No, Go on, sorry, you know. Uh, qualifications there is some information up on the site um, regarding qualifications uh, for this event so it is not a hundred percent all information on there of how you will qualify but it does state that there will be um, qualifications through your country's federation and through federated competitions like the European OCR Championships in Italy, which will be next year, um, June, I think, somewhere June, July. So that's um, an example, actually, Luke. So when I said there wasn't any other, I think, um, European, it's also run by Ian Anderson. It's under yeah. World OCR. People don't realise that, but because it's European Championship. So actually, everyone that's probably listened to this has actually probably run a World OCR Federation Championship that doesn't realise it under the yeah. European umbrella. Um, so that's a qualification i'm assuming so the 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 uk orsf is what we call ourselves now we are also under that world uh ocr banner so sean wilde and all those people and honor are all working under ian under Mm -hmm. the banner for uk ocr so i'm assuming the uk championships we have that will probably be if you win will, three, yeah. you will get qualification into the Russia Sochi meeting. Mm-hmm. So this is the the little bit from the website that does say qualification. Qualification to represent each country is through national federations, championships such as OCR European Championships, OCR Asia Pacific Championships, 
national championships and races specified by each country's national federation may be qualifiers. So the UK OSF could specify that nuclear race is a qualifier race. Yeah. They could, not saying they are. But, <laughs> they, <laughs> but they could say that and you could win that and you could qualify. Yeah, so, and, yeah, yeah. Um, so at the moment, there hasn't been much specification from each country. It's not just UK. There isn't many countries with you can qualify X, Y, Z, but there is, um, there will be information coming out, I'm sure. In regards to representing your country, there is a national teams section in the qualifying bit. So I'm just going to read this because people might want to know, can I just turn up? If I qualify, do I need to be ratified, et cetera, et cetera. National teams, just like the Olympics and other international multi-sport games, national teams are qualified through their national federation slash association. The national federations, non-profit organizations run for and by their members, the athletes. Official teams are limited to five people per competitive race category. Additional athletes may run for each country but must be approved by their national federations. Okay, so what I take from that is unlike eventually, as I'm now going to call it because it's going to get confusing, unlike yep. eventually where you can go, well, I was the best of the day, I was the best of the day, John Abbs a tea captain, let's put a team together in tomorrow, you can't do that. If me, you, John, so-and-so, Tom Tweddle, someone else wanted to do a Team UK GB, not sure what it would be called, we have to qualify as a five and then we go and represent properly Team UK or Team GB? Yeah. Uh, so the word in, there is a team orientated race at the events as well. Um, but I believe that from this, the each race category means 3K. You can have five different people. Yeah. 12K, you can have five additional people. Yeah. Team, you can have five. That also equates to the age groups. Now there are. You're actually basically saying then only five people from one nation can compete at that on that competition. So you can only get five Ninja Warriors, five 3K, five 15K guys, basically. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's what it, from this is what it's kind of saying. Well, basically, it, in my opinion, and what we've all been asking for for freaking years is actually a proper race where you're only going to get the best of the best racing. It's going to be it, tough yeah, to qualify, basically. Yeah, basically, if they do not um, do not add the rule where you can add additional athletes and start adding like yeah, 20, 30, 40, yeah. then out of five spaces, you could technically, if you're looking at it, you could send a 3K specialist team of like three. You yeah. could have two of them do the 3K and the 12 and then you could send the long distance specialist so you want to put john ab and him all three wouldn't you (laughs) oh yeah pretty much um so but there is also 10 age one two three four five six seven there are 10 age groups as well in the competitive categories so there is elite then there is 10 separate age groups ranging from under 20 to over 60. Right. So Vic uh, Mansell's got a chance. Um, <laughs> and also there will be an open wave. Right. Is I'm a bit confused about. 
like I get it's the participation, but we've had yeah. we've got plenty of championships, Spartan World Champs that you can still pay for and go and do. Yeah. Adventure, which in my opinion I'm gonna get shocked a bit, is easy to get into. I mean, easy to get into. You can my grandma could get into qualification for the Adventure World Championships. You know, I like the idea of having a championships where it is actually freaking difficult to get involved. And if you do get there, fair play to you, son, girl, you have done amazingly. Why do an open wave in a non-profitive I get they need to make money, but this is a question I need to ask Adam, Ian, when he comes on, why they're doing open wave. What's the point? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, There is, it literally just says open wave will be provided, no qualification, no awards open wave category so it is just it is just an open yeah. it's just a fun fun See, run base. part of me feels like don't be a dick jack that's that's fair enough do you know what I mean let everyone do the course but at the same time the competitive edge in me says well no you should really earn your spot to go and run the course but that's just my opinion yeah it's a, it, it is a difficult one and it's probably something that we will see in the future disappear yeah I think at the top end of the sport you will see um it disappear altogether or you will see it kind of dwindle and there will still be open waves massively across the board um, but just not at these major major championships so let's bring it back to the uk so in line with all this brand new kind of stuff We've had, obviously, confirmation that there will be a UK OCR Championships 2020. Um, Dates are unconfirmed because there was a date and now it clashes with everything. So it's been (laughs) taken back. (laughs) So, But they are obviously working behind the scenes to put together a race. Um, It's in conjunction with the UK OSF and the three RDs. I think they're all working together to get it done. There is a bit of information for the first qualifying race on their website. So if you go to the website, you go down on the tab. At the bottom, it says UK OCR Championships 2020. Scroll down, it will tell you the first bit of information and the first race you can get to. So there is one race this year, Zeus Races. You can qualify already for the... um, for the OCR UK Championships. So, Zeus races, the only way to qualify in the el- for the elite of the championship is to win the race. Not second, not third, got to win it. That's Male or female. One place. Place. one place. One place. Then in age group, you've got to be top 10, but you have to finish with your band um, so I'm guessing there will be a banded system on the race. Um, yeah, you have to have 100% well, obstacle completion. I'm guessing that's the same for the elite. Um, juniors, also auto qualification if they complete the whole race with their band. So they can get a spot as well. Um, that is it so far. There isn't any more information about other races. But if you've checked out their um, their Facebook page, they have they have released some other races that will be championship qualifiers. So if you go UK OCR Championships and scroll down, you've got McTuff in Scotland. Um, that will be a qualifier on the 
5th of January. Not done the race before. Heard okay things about it. Don't don't really know what obstacles there is. I hear Jesse that... loves it. Oh, well, we have to we have to speak to Jesse to see what it is. He's the one, he's the one um, that broke his arm on last, last year. He broke his arm in it, did he? Oh. <laughs> well, go, go run it again, Jesse. Let us know. Uh, um, obviously, the RDs, one of them is the RD of Zeus. So the other RD is from Rocket Race. The third one is from Elements. Yeah. So we are we are guessing that all of these races will be qualifiers yeah. in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah, pretty much at the moment, that is the most... What we can do is when these come in, we can obviously, every time we do a podcast, we'll try and let people know. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep you updated. There is obviously... Um, yeah, like you say, at this, minute, at this minute in time, they've got a small matter of actually finding a date that works for everyone because... Like yes. if you're going to put it right in the same weekend as Europeans, you're not going to get half a Spartan guys there. If you're going to put it when uh, the um, Euros are on, you're not going to get half the obstacle boys there. So they've got to find a time and date that suits everyone, haven't they? And you're never going to yeah. suit everyone. But no. sorry, if you're going to if, if we're going to actually work towards having a proper team UK and work it towards the elite level, then it, they've got to support that. Yeah, it's, it's well, it's extremely difficult. I think if you look at it already. In September, quite a lot of those dates clash with um, Spartan races. There's the European Championships, but it is a very packed month. So I'm sure they're going to do their best to find a be- a good time. good time. Anyway, without further ado, look who's just joined us. It is the man himself, Mr. Ian Adamson. Ian, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Oh, I'm doing so well. Thank you so much. <laughs> no worries. Where, where in the world are you now, then? I am in... Um, St. Petersburg, Florida. Florida. Florida, uh, yes. Nice and sunny? Uh, I believe it will be nice and sunny today. It's been a little moist, a little excess moisture in there. The, uh, the little tropical storm went by, so there's been some rain. Uh, oh, well, I don't think there's been as much rain as the UK, but still. <laughs> moist. <laughs> yeah, <we're> the same, <laughs> <but> moist. Moist. <laughs> I went for a walk yesterday. I need more. I need more waders, not wellies. I need waders. It's that high. Oh my goodness! <sighs> well, I haven't had to break in my wellies here, so um, so far so good. <laughs> oh, so, Ian, we've just been um, kind of breaking down the kind of championship differences, kind of what the World OCR putting on in Russia, and just giving a bit of an oversight of. Um, where obviously you've put an event on this year, the Ninja OCR Championships in Russia, and we're just letting people know what will be coming in next year via obviously information you have out on the website at the moment. Um, is there any kind of breakdown of the event or what people would expect you'd like to uh, talk about? Sure. Uh, uh, good questions. Um, I think it, probably helps to start with a general overview of what sport is um, and then disciplines and events. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the basic level, uh, the structure of obstacle sports uh, looks a little bit like athletics or cycling uh, or aquatics. Now, this might be confusing if you hear this for the first time because a lot of people identify with what they do as the sport, which makes sense. And why wouldn't you? 
Um, so if you typically do a uh, kind of a mud style event where you're running, say, uh, you know, 10K, then for you, that's your sport. Um, unfortunately, I guess, the way that this is defined by those who decide to what sport is, <laughs> which is basically the Olympic Committee, um, because that's where most, uh, that's where all sports get recognition, actually. Um, sport is a little more broad. Uh, and what people do on the ground does not necessarily represent, uh, at least in that context, um, how a sport is structured. And it's kind of a long way of saying, you know, people do different things to what uh, you, you tend to watch and what people watch uh, can be find, defined somewhat differently to uh, what um, formal sport is. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds all very complicated, but I'll, I'll try and make it simple. Um, we'll use an analogy. Uh, in athletics, athletics is the sport, and the sport um, is governed by an organization called uh, the IAAF, which is the International Athletic Federation or Association of Athletic Federations. Um, within the sport itself, so that's two things. One's a sport, one's a governing body. Uh, the governing bodies are there to represent the needs of the athletes. That's what we do. So we're, we are constituted by the athletes. The members of all the federations are the athletes. They make up the committees and the commissions and the officers and the, uh, the boards. Uh, it's all about the athletes for the athletes. And then the members of the national federations um, then go on to represent uh, in a scalable fashion into the international federation and continental federations. It's just about representation. It's a, simply a structure to allow athletes to have a voice uh, and to guide what the sport is. So that's ultimately what it comes down to. So that's the sport. Um, the structure of the events is interesting. Athletics is good because it looks a lot like obstacle sports, which, you know, we generally know as OCR, right? Kind of run around the, in the countryside and do fun things on fun stuff. Um, obstacle sports cover a lot of stuff in athletics. You'll see it in terms of disciplines. This is true of cycling and, um, aquatics as well. Uh, so you tend to see disciplines. And if you look on the IAAF website, they break it down by discipline and event. So one discipline of athletics is sprints and sprints are hundred meters. This is on the track, hundred meters, 200 meters, 400 meters. And then you've got middle distance. Now you're going up to 800 meters, uh, 1500 meters. And it kind of goes like that. You've also got disciplines of trail running, um, jumps, throws, sprints, middle distance, trail running goes on and on and on. And we've got like nine or 12 disciplines. Um, same with aquatics. So aquatics is water stuff and the discipline would be swimming and inside swimming, you've got something like the freestyle. And then you've also got, 50 meters, 100 meters, 200 meters, 400, it goes on and on and on. So they're the events and disciplines. Same in obstacle. This is where people get confused because they, they see something and they go, well, I don't do ninja, so that's not the sport. Well, sure. If you don't do the ninja kind of stuff, fine, great. And you do whatever you do. It does tend to specialize now. So uh, that's where you mentioned the OCR Ninja World Championships. If mm -hmm. you see it, it looks just like the TV show, American Ninja Warrior or UK Ninja Warrior or... Uh, Polish Ninja Warrior, etc. It goes on and on and on. I think there's uh, American Ninja Warrior TV shows or Ninja Warrior TV shows um, are uh, really 
um, part of a thing called Sasuke, which is Japanese. Yeah. And this is in 148 mm. countries. So you, you see it all over the place. That's what pe people tend to watch. Just like athletics, the most watched thing in the Olympic Games is 100 meters men's final. But how many people do that? Seriously. I mean, how many people actually compete at 100 meters? I don't think there's that many people compete, but it's the yeah. most watched thing. So every four years, four billion people are watching that. Doesn't mean people do it, and it doesn't define the sport of athletics, but it's something that a lot of people watch. What but people actually do in athletics. Ian, do you think people watch it because it's Usain Bolt? Do you think they're watching a person opposed to a sport? Well, they've always watched the 100. Um, and I think you're probably right. Yeah, the, uh, sports and disciplines and events have heroes. And you, you tend to see this. It's been done really well. This, is, this gets to the broadcast side. But if you watch over time, you know, I'm an old guy, so I remember watching Ben Johnson and you know, other people like that over time. And they were the heroes in their era. Um, <laughs> so you'd see these heroes emerge you know, in sport. And you see it today. John Alban is a great example. And he, arguably, he's a hero of obstacle racing. Because he's, you know, he's a really nice guy and he's smart and um, uh, ethical and honest and humble and unbelievably good athlete. So he would be a hero for the sport. You know, people like him and he's, he's great for the sport. Uh, Lindsay Webster and a few of the other high-level athletes. Like, there's many of them. I don't want to leave anyone out, so I won't mention them all. But <laughs> we, we know who they are. <laughs> you missed me out. You missed me out. How dare you? <laughs> you guys talk to them all the time. I don't, I don't talk to them that much, but they're, they're all out there. Um, so this is the, my very long explanation of uh, sport discipline <laughs> event and what FISO is. So you've got many uh, events and within, to answer your question directly, what uh, mm -hmm. are the FISO World Championships? The events that we have, we will have the Ninja OCR World Championships. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. It looks just like the TV show. The rig is 160 meters long. It's 12 obstacles, and it's all ninjury stuff. Super fun to do. A lot of obstacle athletes came out and did it uh, and did really well. Um, Jacek from Poland, who is the president mm -hmm. of the Polish Federation, was really, really good at it. And I, I, he might do it. I, I'm not quite sure, but I suspect he actually does the show kind of stuff because he's that good. Um, same with uh, Katja from uh, Sweden and a few of the other ninjas. We had TV show Ninja Warriors who make the LA finals. That's the hardest show on earth. Um, uh, th there's one in Japan as well, the, the Sasuke finals. That's the really, really big one. So these athletes were coming out of the woodwork because mm -hmm. they're really interested in competing at the sport level, which is different from the show. The TV show yeah. is really fun to watch, but it's a show. You know, it's uh, cast, produced, um, takes them all night to shoot it, and then you see a half-hour show. There's more accreditation of winning your Ninja Track, I suppose, than winning Ninja Warrior on TV. The difference for um, the sport pieces, the sport one is super fast. Yeah, uh, They're down to about uh, 90 seconds Oof. for the Ninja Rig, which is it's uh, mind-boggling how fast they're going. Yeah. Um, started off at about 15 minutes you know, a year ago with the first time out the gate when you do them they, they're tricky so you've got to you got to learn the format uh teach yourself the format we saw it today uh, we saw it this year one of the norwegian guys came out um he was he went through the course probably a dozen times which is hard to do because it tears your hands up uh but he got better and better and better i think he almost made the semi-finals which is very difficult to do um and that was learning curve over three days there's a practice day and then you get to start competing in the heats and the semis and then the finals. And he was, he was amazing. It was fun. So much fun to watch. Um, the crowds were crazy. It was a 
Gorky Park on the Moscow River, and it was, they say there's a quarter of a million people in the park uh, on the weekends every day. Um, so estimates ranged up to a few hundred thousand people watching um, the event. I don't think it was that many. I think it was, I would say it was at least 100,000 spectators. So, that, you know, it's constant crowds, big crowds uh, surrounding this giant rig, which you'd expect just like the TV show. Um, so that was that event. So FISO World Champs, we have that. Um, we have 3K uh, and 12 plus K. Now, there's a reason for the distances because if you put, let's say you put a, a 15K, like in Poland this year, 15K on kind of rolling ground, mm-hmm. it's hilly, but it's not mountainous. It's not like the Spartan World Champs in Tahoe, which is mountainous. That's rolling. So a 15K there is like a 10K or a 12K in a mountain. I didn't see any mountains. An effort. <laughs> yeah, or Morzean or, or Obendorf, you know, these kind of places. You're killing um, my legs ache already, Ian. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is we're in Sochi for for next year, so this is going to be a lot more like any of those mountain races uh, because it's it's a ski resort and it's absolutely. I'm looking at the picture behind you. I'm not sure where that is. It looks like Switzerland. This, um, this is Dolomites yes. this year. Where is that? Dolomites this year. Ah, yes, Dolomites. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. It'll be a lot more like that. Or actually, next year in Italy for yeah. our uh, continental champs, yeah. they're going to be very very similar. So that's what we've got in Sochi. And that's why it's a 12K, not a 15K, simply because it's a lot more in the time and effort than most people would expect in like a 15K distance. The 3K, there is, there's a reason for 3K, not 5K. Mm-hmm. Physiologically, uh, the athletes who, who can win a 3K is not typically a, five, a 15K kind of athlete. There's a physiological difference. So it's about time. So if you look at um, the ability for an athlete to push into their red line, so they're going anaerobic for a long period of time, that's a 3K athlete. That, that's not the 15K athlete. John Alban would do really well at 3K, but he's going to be more like Leon Kofeld or some of these guys are, are really going to push him or beat him at the 3K distance. And this is why we do a 3K, not a 5K. This is arguably a 5K athlete, everything 5K and up. Physiologically, it's the aerobic animal. It's the Lindsay Webster's and the Ryan Atkins and the John Albans and those guys there. Quite cleverly, what you've done is you've made it so actually the 15K guy, let's take John. Uh, the 15k guy can't still win easily the 5k in this case if it's 3k your 3k guys like your leons and people like that should technically be quicker which is quite interesting because it makes it a little bit more of a difficult choice for john to whether to do it or not or yeah exactly and we you know we'd like to see everyone do everything they they can Uh, we had a discussion with one of the belgian guys and he was he's he says well he can do everything because he does the shows the ninja warrior shows but he also can perform at an extremely high level aerobically. So arguably there might be someone, especially in these early years that can, could feasibly win everything It's possible. Not going to last very long though, because the specialization has already happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a hundred K event that we are hundred K. We have a hundred <laughs> oh, wow. meter. Ultra. <laughs> we actually do have a hundred K. Now we have a hundred meter. The hundred meter is fun because they're 30 second athletes. And difference between 30 seconds and 90 seconds is pretty big yeah, when you're racing. Yeah. So you see that the 90, the 100 meter athletes, they're all mostly out of Southeast Asia because that's in the Southeast Asian Games. That's under mm-hmm. the regulation of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee. The 100 meter athletes are already specialized because they've been doing it for over a year now. 
same with them. They're, they were doing the 100 in like five minutes and now they're down to 30 seconds. Mm. And if you're watching that, you've probably seen the videos. Watching these guys go is just ridiculous. So they showed up in Russia as well, a bunch of the Asian athletes, and they're not quite they're not quite at the the ninja distance level yet because they're not quite familiar with it. But they're really fast. They, mm. I think that the Philippine team, in my view, probably would have won the team relay in Russia, except one of the guys tried to jump through this huge obstacle with hanging bags, touching one bag. He was going so fast and he can jump so far that he jumped, missed this giant, it's a big lump, it's a big leap, maybe 10 meters, right? No one can really jump 10 meters. But this guy was going to, was trying to do it in one jump through, grab one bag and then jump through it. And he just slipped. But if he hadn't slipped, they would have been, they would have been the fastest for sure. He got slapped it was a risk, but, you know, if you're at a world champs, that's what happens. You risk stuff. Ian, just before you go into specifics of the races and race distances, I'm just going to bring you back a few seconds. I've got a, a couple of questions from a very high athlete here. I won't, I won't say who it is, but it is, this is from a high athlete. And she wants to know, um, did you have to oh, have energy? Yeah. Did, did you have any athlete input when you were setting this up? So like the whole FISO, even the world OCR, did you have much athlete input or is it just yeah yeah a lot of athlete input it's actually it's all about the athlete input because it's all for the athletes this is what people need to understand it's set up the whole system is set up for the athletes for athlete representation it it is actually the athletes um this is where i was talking about the national federations it's just a scalable system fiso is only kind of it's like the united nations <laughs> sitting around the table at the united nations it represents all the countries but you can't have for 7 billion people sitting at the table, that's everyone. Um, same with obstacle, we can't have 20 million people sitting at the table and having a discussion, it just doesn't work. So what we do is we break it out by country. So the, the athletes make up everything. Um, and the input has always been from the athletes. It's hard to start with because uh, you've got to start the engine. Um, and once the engine gets started, then people start to realize that, oh yeah, I can, I can be that person. So we... Uh, it's it's a democratic system. We call it. I'm going to use some a few words here that I'll, that I'll explain. Uh, the sporting system is um, it's democratic, so all the athletes vote on everything. So it's democratic. It's non-profit. That doesn't mean it's not profitable. It just means that all money generated must be used for the members. Cannot be used for its own gains. Meaning the federations can't use them for themselves. That's, that's the difference between prof, for-profit and non-profit. For-profit, it's for the owners. Um, like Spartan Race, it's owned by people. They get the money. Uh, in non-profits, like the federations, it all goes back to the athletes for their, per, for their use. So it's mm -hmm. democratic, it's non-profit, and it's federative. Federative means that um, it's, it creates a system where if you're in the UK, uh, you, you join uh, UK OSF, then you're the owner. You're one of the owners, but owned by the athletes. And then you, if you have an interest, you join committees, like uh, the competitions committee. If you want to work on formats, uh, mm -hmm. you could chair the committee and you could be a member of the board. You could be voted in as president. Um, you can move to, you can also represent at the continental level. So uh, EOSF or the OCR Europe uh, or at international level, if you want, you can go and join a committee or commission at the international level and help um, with the formats 
And these discussions are, are ongoing constantly within the federations about formats, uh, about what's going to work, why should it work. Uh, and we talked to, uh, well, John Alban sat down with us in, at the end of uh, European Champs last year to have a big discussion around obvious things there. It mm-hmm. wasn't too hard, too many obstacles, you know, those kind of things. Because we want to figure, we want to make sure that the obstacles are what people want, what they enjoy, um, that it's constantly moving and changing and adapting and being dynamic. And this is another thing that people misunderstand. They think, oh, sport's going to regulate it and make it silly. Uh, no, no. The whole point is to represent the needs and desires of the athletes. And if the athletes want it to be a dynamic, growing, moving sport, that's what it should be. So that's what it is. And if, if they say after Europe, which they did, they voiced their uh, ideas after Europe last year, is it too long, too difficult, too complicated? We actually did it mid, mid-flight in Europe. Um, Klaus Dietz, uh, who was running, he was the president of DOKRA, the uh, obstacle mm-hmm. Horse Racing Association, sat down with the obstacle builders that night and we had a big round table about, okay, this is what happened and we need to fix this uh, overnight. So... We said, here's, here's, he was very clever about it. He smart. He, he gave, we, first of all, he asked the obstacle builders if it was feasible. And they said, yes. He said, okay, you know your obstacles better than anyone. Tonight, you're going to go out and fix them. And we're going to make this course better tomorrow. And they did. You, if you, you were there, I think, you, you saw this. It, it changed overnight. They, the athletes don't really know. But <laughs> that course changed overnight. Uh, because it's for the athletes. Yeah, you and that's what we do. And Leon and people like that, and you realize that this needed changing. So, yeah, exactly. And we want input from these questions are great questions because the athletes say, you know, we obviously it's democratic. So we can't, if one person wants one thing, yeah. well, we need, a, we need a, uh, a consensus. The consensus being many people wanting the same thing. Um, and then it's like, well, let's try it. And, We'll figure out what works the best and someone emerges somewhere in an event in uh, Estonia or something and they create some crazy fun obstacle. We want to see that and we want to see if it's safe. Uh, this is where regulation comes in, by the way, safety. This is something mm-hmm. that the sport actually does. So safety is very important. Safety and security. Safety means lots of things. Medical safety, obstacle safety, operational safety. Um, is the water deep enough? How many lifeguards do you need? What sort of uh, safety equipment and personnel do you need on a water obstacle? These are very important things for the sport. It doesn't say you have to build the water obstacle like anything in particular. Do whatever you want, but um, we want to make sure it's safe. So we want to assist all event producers all over the world, whether or not they're within the sport, uh, part of the sport, or if they're brands or commercial interests. doesn't matter because we don't care. What we care about is the athletes. Yeah. If the athlete does Bob Bob's uh, backyard obstacle race and he puts the digs a hole and fills it with water, I love that. Um, it, <laughs> it would be nice if he did it in a way that doesn't kill people. <laughs> That's really what regulation is, so, um, and medicals and things like. Oh gosh, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, uh, look on the World OCR website under sport, and you'll see this quite extensive list of sport functions, and mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's big. Competition rules are a big one. Um, again, we, the sport doesn't tell anyone how to do their rules. We provide a framework that um, they can use as a guideline to make sure that they're operationally safe. 
uh, and have mm-hmm. smooth races without giant backups and things that people really don't like. Um, now, there are formats that are very specific to the sport, but this is more around what you get to start to see in games, meaning international multi-sport games, and that really means stuff under regulation by the International Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. And this is where the, in, the World Championship starts to look more like what you'll see, hope, we hope, um, at the big games. But we're, we're already in games under regulation of the IOC. We're in the Southeast Asia Games. We're in the Asian Games next year. And this year in the Southeast Asia Games, in, in a few weeks actually, we have 100 metres, 400 metres and 5K. Um, and these are formats that we're tinkering with, not tinkering with, we've been refining for years um, to meet the needs and desires of the athletes but also the regulations of the IOC. Because they're not always the same thing. And people will go, yeah, but I don't do that. That's okay. You don't have to do anything. You can do whatever you want. But if you want to go to big games, ultimately, if you want to go to the Olympics, if that happens, then a medal event at the Olympics is going to look like something that they want and broadcast wants and media wants and advertisers want and television wants and and that's the money part. So uh, okay. it, it looks a little different from what a lot of people do, but it looks overwhelmingly like what people actually do, like the 5K you do a 5K race anywhere in the world. The medal mm. events that we have in the Sea Games, Southeast Asia Games for the 5K, they would jump in that race and they wouldn't. They would go, "Yeah, this is great. This is an obstacle race." Ian, why why do you think people are so in dark about what you do? So, for instance, people, especially towards me and Luke on the podcast when we announced your, the games in Russia, people are like, "Well, who is this? What are they?" Even like top athletes. I mean, obviously, like your Leon's, no, your John, no, but a couple of especially American, North American athletes, they have no clue. Um, <laughs> one of those questions actually was, "Is there anybody in North America that you associate with for a start?" Because no one seems to know who you are or what you do. And then the second question was. How do you plan to incorporate and communicate better with athletes, especially North American athletes who especially seem to be in the dark? There's a lot of especially there. But, yeah, uh, that's, a re- that's a great question. And that that's is a, a great top question. athlete. I'm talking world champion athlete. Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's, um, when you say world champion, what, what world championships? Because there's quite a few. All right, I'll just tell you who it is. It's Nicole Miracle. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I'll we'll just give it up. <laughs> I was trying to keep it quiet, but... You would not do well under interrogation. <laughs> yeah. Just keep it straight oh. up. I'm it's sure okay. she's like, Leon. She, she asked me to ask you anyway. So it's better coming from her than it is me, because you know it's coming from a serious athlete. Do you know what I mean? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great question. Um, it's, uh, it's the right question, too. Leon was actually asking the same question. We had a private conversation. He was saying, hey, Nicole wants to know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and um, it's the right question because the, there's, there's a couple of parts to the sport. One is the high-level athletes, which we, all, you know, we love and we know and, and love and watch. Those, those guys are heroes, and Nicole being one of them. And uh, how would she know about it? That's, that's why. <laughs> that's the first question. Well, how would she know about it? Uh, because we, we're just not out there yet. Um, well, we are now. Yeah, and this is one of the mechanisms. People don't, people, athletes don't tend to see the sport until it's something that they care about. Yeah, and the, the top level athletes care about are world championships. And this mm-hmm. kind of brings this full circle. What is the world championships? So FISO world championships, this will be part of the answer to Nicole, um, is, uh, and all athletes out there, FISO world championships is the cha- championships, the world championships, for the athletes, by the athletes, through the national federations. The international federation is the national federations. They are the members. 
Um, so they decide what everything is. Now, to move the ship along, there's a little bit more executive power um, than is typical in a sport because you've got to make things happen and happen fast. Executive power means there's, a, there's fewer people making more decisions. But that's been, that gets granted by the board, who, is rep, who represents everyone. The board are the delegates from the countries from every national federation, just like the United Nations, right? You see, you see the United Nations and there's the, the guy from the UK and the, the woman from South Africa and whatever. Um, like I said, you can't have everyone in the UK sitting in the United Nations making a decision. There has to be someone representing the UK. Same thing. Um, so now you go, well, okay, so why then have, has no one seen this for the past six years? Well, because here's why. Um, structuring sport to be recognized uh, as a real sport, and this is only done by the reg under regulation of the International Olympic Committee, uh, is a very complex thing. It took triathlon about 30 years to really get their stuff together and they were invited in to the games a different thing from recognition by the way they were invited in to be a sport and to have medal events by the then president um i think it was samaranch at the time and uh that almost it's very rare that that happens it actually just happened um uh, for paris this was mm -hmm. around the games it's kind of a, a games is a mechanism to kind of kick sport along um, and it was breakdancing because they have a medal event in Paris. Mm, uh, strange, but true. And if I was a little intrigued by this, so I went to have a look at breakdancing. If you haven't watched it, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> the athletes are unbelievable. And I was watching this going, oh, crap, I really like it. <laughs> you won't hate it. You won't hate it. <laughs> uh, so back to the th question about um, what uh, what we're doing about it. Uh, sport has a very important, there's, there's a very, very important person um, in all sports and they are the athlete representative. Mm -hmm. The athlete representative uh, is sort of the face, right? They're the, they're the person who is typically an active athlete, a very, very high level active athlete. Uh, a lot of sports is a gold medalist in the games. Um, and our athlete representative is Lindsay Webster. So Lindsay now, we're only starting to move this along right now. Lindsay gets to have a say for the people like uh, Nicole and John and the high-level athletes because at one level, at one end of the sport, the it's what we see at, at games and stuff, what we see with the top athletes doing the top stuff. They also need to have a very strong say about what goes on for competition because, again, it's about them. Um, it's not about the games. It's about them. And they then have a voice. So, Nicole, what Nicole should do, uh, or we'd, we'd love her to do, encourage her to do, talk to Lindsay, uh, uh, talk to <laughs> the U.S. Federation, because there is one, and almost no one knows this, which is why they ask the question, well, well where, where is it in the U.S.? It's United States Obstacle Course Racing. USA OCR is the national governing body or the national federation, an actual national federation, and there's a difference, um, for the United States. A national federation is one that's recognized by their government and or a national Olympic committee, which USAOCR is. It's a member of uh, an organization called USA Pentathlon Multisport. Uh, Pentathlon Multisport is a member of the United States Olympic Committee. So there's two recognition levels for uh, representation of the athletes in each country. One, it's um, through recognition of their organization by the International Federation, that's World OCR. And the other one is recognition of their government. 
um, and or Olympic Committee. So in the UK, UK OSF is recognized by FISO, World OCR. That's confusing, isn't it? Um, FISO is the, is the institutional French name, Federation Internationale de Sport d'Obstacle, uh, like mm-hmm. FIFA, you know, Football Association for football. Uh, soccer for the listeners who don't play football. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, FINA is uh, Federation Internationale Natation, which is uh, aquatics. And it goes on and on, lots of F, F words. FINA, FIBA, basketball, FIFA, FISO. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's us. And then the other recognition is governmental. So UK OSF, your national governing body in the UK, uh, they're working with the government, your government, uh, for UK sport, et cetera, for recognition at the national level. In a few countries, it's already, there's already recognition. Russia is recognized by their government. Uh, another reason that we're there, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and then you've got um, in the United States, it's the US Olympic Committee, uh, actually through their uh, organization, USA Pentathlon, Multisport in Denmark. They're working with their athletic federation. I think they're quite close to recognition. Um, then there's us, the Philippines. They have their own recognition directly with the Olympic Committee in the Philippines. This is one reason that we had Sea Games, because there's a lot of committee. There's a lot of organisations in Southeast Asia recognised by their Olympic committees and governments. Um, so this is where it starts to get real, and you'll start mm-hmm. to see a lot more of this because that's the only way that athletes get to go to the games. You can only do it through the Olympic system. There are many, I think there's 60 games in that system. <clears throat> uh, Youth Olympics, uh, uni- World, the uh, Universidad, it's University Olympics, basically. Uh, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, um, Southeast Asia Games, Asia Games, Pan American Games, European Games, goes on and on and on. They're all Olympic system stuff. You can only get there through the federations. There's no other mechanism. So this is, this is the representation thing is athletes get to go and play at big fun things with lots of uh, people watching and you know, fun stuff. Nicole um, and all the other elites in the Americas, we've been very, very slow with governance in the, in the Americas because for a few reasons. One, they already have a lot of stuff. There's about 650 brands operating events in the United States alone. Uh, and that represents, we think it's a, like five or six million people with lots of events and races and stuff to do. So they don't need much help in terms of what they get to do. Uh, other countries do. Uh, so we've been very active assisting um, in other countries and other regions with giving them, helping them with more stuff to play at. Uh, in the in the Americas, it's a double-edged sword. They've got lots of things to do, great, fantastic, lots of brands and lots of fun stuff. But because we've been so slow developing the sport side or the sport functions, it's been almost invisible. Mm. And then people ask mm. questions, yeah, but we don't really need you guys because, we've got well, maybe not, but it depends on what you want to do. If you want the stuff to be safer and fairer and cheaper, yeah, you probably should get involved and have an interest. Or if you, like Nicole, you want to go somewhere big, like ultimately if she wants to go to, say, uh, Pan, Am, Pan Am Games or Olympic Games at some point eventually, then, you know, that this would be the way to do it. We'll have to do this 100%. I mean, yeah. I've spoke, we speak a lot of top athletes now. And like John, John's a good friend of ours and we chat quite a bit. You know, yes, okay, these guys do it for the big person, they do it for the big money but they generally do enjoy the sport as well. And if, for instance, let's just take Spartan. I think you were in Tahoe this year, weren't you, Adam? Uh, Ian, sorry. When we did it, it was cold and it was a bit of a, oh, a health and safety risk, blah, blah, blah. And athletes will voice their opinions. If they don't like the race, they more likely won't go and do it. 
unless they can win and earn a load of money. But at the end of the day, they do, they do do it because they enjoy the sport as well. It isn't all about the money for them. Yeah, some people do it for the money. We heard this in Russia. Uh, some of the show athletes are expecting more money. So they're going, we were really disappointed you didn't have more money. Well, you don't get paid. and No one gets money at the Olympics. No. They're not there to win anything, the better big shiny medal. Hopefully, yeah. most of them are there just to get there. You do it to represent really... your country and your sport. Yeah, exactly. It's representation. Again, it's a representation thing. Most people do it for the honor and the, and it's an honor. It's not, you don't get given this stuff. This is an honor to represent your country. Yeah. And it's a big deal. If you've never been to a games, um, even just going and watching a games is just fabulous. Do you guys go to London? I imagine Hope yeah, yeah. went to London. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you get that feeling, right? The whole country rallies around the games and it's fantastic. You, unless you've been to one, you will have no clue what it feels mm. like, but it's amazing. It's absolutely astonishing. This collective feeling of millions and millions of people doing one thing, uh, you know, collectively mm. uh, and having fun doing it. It's a strange and rare phenomenon which is why the Olympics exists at all. The Olympics, by the way, is a movement. It's called mm. a movement. It's not a, it's not, it's not a games. It's not, it's a movement. The movement exists. And a lot of people don't know this. The Olympic movement exists basically to make better humans. It's about, uh, it, it ends up being athletic. Uh, it wasn't always that way. There were, chess was in the Olympics at one point. I believe it was chess. And there was things like painting was in the Olympics in early days, uh, modern Olympics, I mean. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not what people think it is. Uh, what it is today, it's kind of a, a event, a, a morphed into uh, athletic stuff, uh, a little bit more akin to the ancient games from 731 BC, I think, or somewhere around there, um, when it started out with... Uh, running, jumping, throwing stuff. So more like athletics and then went to ancient pentathlon. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, obstacle, by the way, has been around for a really, really, really long time, all the way back into the ancient Olympics. And in the modern context, formalized in 1946 in the military space, but stuff that people already, I mean, still watch today. They, they, they don't think it's, they think it's sort of new. It's not really, it's been around for a really long time. Um, in many forms, there's been many, many forms of obstacle racing uh, in the modern era back to obviously tough guy. I think we had this discussion uh, last yeah. time. But even, uh, even like the forces, like the police and the firemen, they do styles of obstacle horse racing with their hoses and jumping over walls and climbing upstairs and stuff. And that's been in the forces for years. Yes, it has. It, the, in North America, <laughs> a lot of people don't, I mean, there's a whole generation that doesn't even know that there was obstacle racing as we see it today in the nineties, big national series with lots of money in national television series, but they weren't even born. <laughs> so I don't know it existed. That's people doing it today, Crazy. which is great because there's this, you know, it's generational now. It's like the eco challenge, which is back yeah, yeah. Um, 20 years ago, people who were not born, but are active in obstacle racing or wouldn't remember it. They'll see eco challenge and I go, Oh, that's interesting and intriguing. Um, this is new. So no, nah, no, no, it's actually been around since the seventies. Did that's you do the eco challenge Ian? When you when in your prime day, yeah, yeah, our team won them all. <laughs> uh, maybe except like that. he'd admit that he's older now, and you know a bit in more. In your tight. prime day, <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, that, that, that definitely dates me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we, oh. I should probably answer in a in a more simple way, uh, understandable way, what uh, how to be involved or why or what 
the sport is in North America. We're working on it. How's that? <laughs> We're working on creating. Um, it, it needs the athletes. The athletes have to understand yeah. what it is and then jump in and start getting involved because it is about and for and by the athletes. So uh, they have an interest. The, in North America, they tend to see um, a couple of obvious things. They tend to see, obviously, Spartan races very big in the United States, so they tend to see that. And a lot of them will do that system and lots of other races, but they'll do Spartan races and go to Spartan or try to get to Spartan world champs or national. There's so many, there's so much stuff there that looks a lot like sports. So you've got uh, national series, uh, regional series, and then, uh, and then world champs in the United States. So you'll see that. I don't know if they're going to be there next year, but that's, that's a world championship series in obstacle space. They see the adventure stuff. So OCR, uh, what NORAM, they have a whole bunch of stuff, marathons, half marathon. They have all sorts of races um, in that company, uh, including OCR World Champs. But they, if you're an obstacle, you don't kind of really see what the other stuff that company does. Um, so that's OCR World Championships, and they'll see a lot more of that going back to Vermont. Um, and then there's outside of the US, they some athletes, but very few see the other World Champs and World Series, like Strong Viking World Finals, right? That's another basically mm-hmm. world champs for a brand um, well. fun races i love those races they are super fun yeah. um, oh, um i was looking from the uk over at the us obviously we we can see that they have a uh, federation similar to what we're having in the uk they've actually had a national championships i think three years and they've got one coming up in on the 27th of this month at the black diamond obstacle course race um from what I can see on their Facebook page. So they, and I believe they've actually been taking the athletes that have qualified at a certain level and going to like high level um, athlete institutes and doing training days with top level kind of Olympic athletes or very similar places. So that is, there is something going on in America. There is obviously quite a large um, thing happening. It just seems that it hasn't, gone down to everybody yeah that is correct actually what a lot of people don't know this uh in the united states robert killian and most people know who he is uh mm-hmm. robert killian was the chairman of usa ocr i think he's now uh, he's the he's athlete rep now um it's actually run by the uh deputy chairman I believe it's Jamie Munro. Jamie Munro ran the Muddy Buddy series on obstacle race series for 10 years before Spartan existed. Mm-hmm. A big national series, really good races, obstacle races. It was the first really pure kind of obstacle um, system in the United States. So it was from about 90, uh, to, uh, 99 or 2000 until 2010 or 11 or 12, somewhere around there. So he, he knows oh. the obstacle space really well. He, he produced yeah. more obstacle races in the United States than all other obstacle races collectively until about 2012. So they have people in the system that Mm -hmm. are extraordinarily good. Uh, And they put on uh, stuff. They have training camps at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, um, which you can only do if you're part of the Olympic system. You cannot get onto those places unless you're in the system. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've actually put on a world OCR coach development program and I UK OSF is doing this as well. They're creating the path for coach coaching path pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done it at world level uh, in a fairly big way already, mostly started around the Southeast Asia games because we've developed sport function 
to meet criteria of the Olympic Committee, basically, because it's all under regulation of the IOC. And these sport functions include uh, officials and marshals and volunteers to run the event so that there's no, so that they're fair, basically. Um, so mm-hmm. there's an officials program that originated out of Europe with Henriette um, Wing, who mm-hmm. uh, vice president of Denmark. And she built a very big system to have lots, hundreds of officials at the European champs. So she works, uh, she's, the, she's the chairman of the officials committee, has been helping. She came out to Asia um, for mm-hmm. official, to train officials for games, basically. Uh, and then the vice chair is uh, Diliara Sadikova out of Russia. They have 5,000 high-level trained officials uh, in Russia running their system because they have massive races. The biggest race they have is, I think it's approaching 200,000 people on in one event, um, oh, which is run simultaneously in 85 cities. So they have this big system. That's one reason we're working with Russia for the world champs because mm-hmm. their capabilities are vast. There are people, they ran uh, stuff for Sochi Olympics, uh, mm-hmm. Winter Games, FIFA World Cup, so this is the level of uh, this is the level of event production uh, and production value that we're working with for FISA, FISA World Championships. It's all Olympic sport professionals. We're at Olympic venue with uh, mm-hmm. Olympic accommodations. Um, you know where the athletes stay, the actual rooms with the athletes and the flags still on the on the rooms, yeah. uh, Olympic mm-hmm. dining halls, all this kind of stuff. So we're we we've been doing that in Asia. We're doing it for FISA World Champs. Uh, look and feel as it should, as people would expect. You roll in mm-hmm. and you're in the Olympic Village with Olympic flags, uh, uh, accommodations that the athletes stayed in, all of that stuff because it has to look, feel, and operate just like we will mm-hmm. hopefully at some point moving into big international multi-sport games. And we're, big, we're under observation. We uh, have a membership application in that's been in for a few years. It's being evaluated right now for recognition. Um, this is by GAFE by the way, which decides what a sport is. Uh, and then mm-hmm. the International Olympic Committee is a member of GAFE, um, Global Association of International Sporting Federations. Once GAFE uh, evaluates an application to be a sport and they say yes, then they trot over to the US Olympic, uh, sorry, the International Olympic Committee and say, these guys look like they're good. Um, let's vote on whether they're a sport or not. It's all democratic. I think we need to come up with an acronyms list, Luke, with all these. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> impressed with Ian just fling, flinging these acronyms no, out. Like, oh, away. gosh, I, it's so confusing. It's alphabet soup. <laughs> no, <laughs> almost no one understands it. <laughs> you've already answered yeah, your questions, Ian. Um, why Russia, which you've already answered. Mm. Question I have personally, well, two questions. Well, three, actually. I'm going to throw them a <laughs> lot. You can answer them how you want. Um, one, how do you get the big guys in? So how do you get your Lindsay Webster's, your Ryan Atkins, your John Albums, your Nicole, to come away, not so necessarily come away from your Spartan World Champs and your Adventure World Champs, but how do you how do you get those big guys in? Um, maybe you're not expecting to happen first year. I don't know. Have you got a plan for that? Two, with it being in Russia, will they be doing antidote testing, things like that? Is that all? Obviously, that has to happen, does it? Um, yeah, uh, let's go with, go with those two first and see where we go. <laughs> all right, so getting the big, big athletes there. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. We would like to, uh, what we call it, uh, professionalizing the sport. Professionalizing the sport meaning is providing uh, the ability for the best athletes around the world to get to all the big stuff. 
And it starts to look like World Series, World Championships, like World Cup Series, World Championships, that kind of stuff. We're working on it right now for, uh, at the Ninja end. Uh, it, it ends up separating out by event. Um, we're combining them at the moment. That looks more like a multi-sport games when you have lots of events at the same thing. So European, our European champs and Asian champs, as an example, have that. You see 100 meters, 3K, 5K, 15k kind of things all right so that's that's a that's a bunch of events um in the uh, championships we're doing that for fiso world championships uh, next year so ninja 3k 12k and a team race um and uh the athletes uh if they want to win but they don't care about the money because they're about the sport um then that's great but it's a sort of a you you also want all the best people there because then the argument is but if, if they're not there is it valid if it's a good question i i think it's a very strong argument i think peter dobos brought this one up from canada he said well if the best athletes in aren't there how can it be the best race how can it be a championship so that's a great question it yeah it's a good it's a really good question um so obviously we want the best athletes there and by all means we want to assist them to get there. So uh, that takes money and mm-hmm. non-profits, I'm not saying not profitable, but lifting sport off the ground, starting at moving is extraordinarily expensive. The, all of the various partners in these game in these uh, championships of which there are many uh, all provide something. So, the the city or the resort of it's Rosa Kuta um, is the resort city. It's the ski resort um, is one of the partners. They provide all sorts of stuff of high value, like venues and all sorts of things, right? Um, uh, obstacles as well. And then there's OCR Russia, the Russian Federation. They provide a huge amount of stuff because they're the host. Uh, they have a commercial partner, which is uh, race uh, League of Heroes. I think is the translation. Um, that's the big event production company that works with the Russian Federation, um, mm-hmm. the Olympic professionals in a giant system. So they provide a huge amount of stuff. Uh, and then there's hard cash that it costs a lot of money to put these things on. <clears throat> the Ninja rig is a hundred thousand. No, it's a million dollar rig, not hundred thousand. It's a million dollar rig to build that yeah. thing. So you start to see the, where the money is and then you go, well, great. So you're spending all this money. How does it make money? Well, they actually don't generally make money because they're not supposed to, they don't have to, because mm. it's just providing something for the athletes and it costs, you know, there's entry fees and stuff. So that helps offset costs, but it's still a big expense. Um, they always are like games, Olympic games, as an example, cost billions to put on. So no one's making money on them. No one gets paid. No athletes are paid anything in the, at the Olympic games and at, at world championships. It's extraordinarily rare for athletes to get paid. You don't get paid at IAAF world championships or the FINA world championships for aquatics. Um, we have a slightly different view of it uh, to start a sport and make it real and valuable. We believe that we want to semi, we want to at least semi professionalize it and provide, um, you know, enough money that the best athletes can always be there because it's for them and everyone watching them and doing the stuff. So there's these two, there's this kind of two level deal. Money helps get good athletes there. So then you see, Oh yeah, they're here. So that's great. So now it's real. <laughs> you don't have to have money except to make that happen. Um, but we want that too. We want the John Albans and the Lindsay Webster's and the Coles and all the, we want those people to be able to get to all the races and have uh, and, and be able to race properly because until you have 
the enough money from your racing to race, you got to do a job. You got to work somewhere else and then you're not training and that doesn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this well because I did the same thing. I was, I don't know if people know this, but I was a, I was a would be Olympian and that's a very expensive deal. I never made it. Um, but did make it far enough to get to the X games and medal a few times. Uh, and fortunately it was a T became a TV thing. That was the income. So that was mm-hmm. almost 15 years of very lucrative racing because TV provides a lot of advertising money, which provides a lot of prize money, which allows you to do lots of stuff as an athlete. So that's one way to do it. Um, if we manage to combine everything, we, our job brings in media, brings in advertising, brings in money. Um, and then world champs like uh, FISA world champs here and coming up in Russia next year, that starts to bring all the pieces together. That's been the six year lift to how to make it happen. And there's been an ongoing question. Where's the world OCR stuff? Where's their champs? How come they're, because they're not real. Until, you know, for most people, we're not real until we have something like that. Um, commercial uh, interests have the same kind of deal. Spartan World Championships, you know, very well-regarded event, big system, very big system. Um, OCR Adventuries, OCR World Championships, a lot of people like that. Great. These all have uh, value within the sport. Um, and then it's, a, then it's a question of, well, what's the difference between them all? It's really the difference is for-profit corporations uh, for the owners and investors um, or non-profit for the athletes. Mm. So what happens with someone like Aventry now? What happens to their name? Do they have to change the name now that you've bought out of World OCR? Uh, it's a bit confusing because a lot of athletes have no idea that they're not the federative. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they really care. Athletes don't care. They just like the, the race. Great. So they have a really valuable place because it's well regarded and liked. Uh, eventually, you know, at some point, we won't say anything other than we've always wanted to be friendly. So we just say, you know, that has great valuable event. People love it. They should keep servicing the athletes, but the, the qualification system is very, very different. Um, and representation is very, very different. So there's two very big differences between adventures, OCR world championships and the FISO world championships. FISO mm-hmm. is buying for the athletes. Ultimately it's to represent their interests only. Um, any and all commercial organizations represent the interests of their owners and investors. I believe there's three owners of adventure and that company has a portfolio of things like all corporations. And that's a Brooklyn, New York corporation. Uh, they have a suite of events, um, which includes you know, running races. And I think they used to, or maybe still do triathlons uh, and OCR world champs and NORAM and they help uh, in South Africa with the race. So they have a suite of events like Spartan does um, the money generated all for profit corporations, the job of every corporation on earth is to make money for their owners. So that's mm-hmm. what they do. They provide a valuable product, just like Apple provides very valuable products for people. They love to buy Apple products, right? But they don't own Apple um, or have a say in what Apple does, but they could invest in it and then they could have a say as a shareholder. Uh, but privately held private corporations don't have that. So a private corporation like Adventury, uh, there's three owners. Um, the athletes, I mean, they listen to the athletes, which is great. Uh, but they're not owned by the athletes. So the difference is they don't say, here's a, here's a better example, I guess. Spartan race says what they are for their world champs. It's the Spartan race world championships. They don't say OCR world championships because they're a corporation. They just put their name in the same, same with most of the, almost, well, every brand world champs that I know of says their name in the 
championships, Ironman mm-hmm. World Championships, not Triathlon World Championships, Ironman or Ironman Triathlon World Championships. They, they state the name of the corporation or the, whatever it is. The difference with Adventure is they don't, don't say Adventure World Championships. They just say OCR World Championships, which is a bit confusing because people think it's – we have national federations asking us about it. They say, but aren't your World Championships – like this year, aren't your World Championships in the UK, blah, blah, blah. And we go, not ours. That belongs to Adventure. That's theirs. They own that. Uh, the athletes don't know. The federations, that's confusing to everyone, you know. But, yeah. But even now with, obviously, you announcing this event in Russia, I think one of the main things a lot of people have been asking is, how do we qualify? How do we get to Russia? How do we get to represent? What, um, yes. information yes. on the site, but um, if there's anything you could let us know about, that would be great. For sure, yeah. So the uh, for all uh, recognized sport, all structured sport in the world, um, whether you play football or whatever it is, run, uh, swim, mm-hmm. the system is by national federation. You can only qualify. So you represent your team, Team UK. When you go to the Games, uh, Olympic Games next year in Tokyo, Team UK is qualified uh, in, each, in each sport by their national federation. It's the only way to do it. It's the same with all international sports. So the way to qualify for FISA World Championships is through your national federation. They decide what the criteria are, what the races are, all that kind of stuff. And in the UK, it may look like um, uh, you know a lot of brand events in the UK. So it may be nuclear race and, or I don't know, modest, whatever, whatever the events are, uh, not modest, that's, a, <laughs> that's different, but whatever the events are that they decide, they qualify the team. So mm-hmm. it's not, the the adventure system, well, the Spartan system is a lot more similar because you qualify at Spartan races for Spartan championships to go to Spartan stuff. Um, yeah. Adventure is you somewhat unique because they it's all brand based. They have brand partners, which are the events and event owners. Those events are the ones you qualify at. So they're brand events, brand events qualifying for a brand world championships collectively the brands they use some interesting language which is independent world championships i don't know what that means quite honestly um i'm not sure what they're independent of because they are for profit and they are themselves so i guess they're independent of people who are not them yeah <laughs> just them um, so uh, you just qualify through your national federation uh, and yeah. when i say just this this starts to cause all sorts of things to happen very quickly because, yeah, of course people want to qualify and they want to know how to do it. It's actually mm. on the World OCR website. There's a fairly basic skeleton um, of qualification. It basically says qualify through your national federation. They go, well, what the hell is that and where is it? <laughs> so we list them. Um, and then there's other obvious questions that come up. We don't have a national federation. What do we do? Well, this mm-hmm. is where the national federations help. So if you're in, I don't know, say Estonia, and yep. you don't have a national federation, but you have neighboring countries with federations. Or Finland. Finland's a great example. Uh, Finland borders up with Sweden. Sweden has a national federation, very active. Marlon Spang, the president of Sweden, also president of Europe, uh, they can assist. Denmark can assist a lot of countries because Denmark has already been through this a lot uh, because they put on the Eurochamps using, um, for the most part, brand events for qualifying for Eurochamps. That's mm-hmm. changing. That is starting to change as well because we're, you know, we're gradually shifting over to the sport model, not the brand model. Um, yeah. And because the brand model was kind of established and used by Europe, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't ha- does not happen that way in Asia. Asia is fully the sport model. 
in Europe, it's shifting to the sport model. By 21, it'll be full sport model. It'll be exactly the same as world champs, uh, a FISO uh, world champs, which is you have to qualify through your national federation. It's a scalable system. It's just unwieldy in big countries like the US where there's 2,500 races or uh, maybe 1,500 really good ones. How do you do that? Well, you can't really unless you have a a unified system that is coordinated by one entity, which is the national federation. UK is somewhat similar, you know, very strong community in the UK, lots of races. So UK OSF helps with that. And in the UK, every country, if you want to get involved and help shape the sport, join your federation. (laughs) But it's also how you get to the champs because you can't do it without being a member. It has lots of benefits. Yeah. So um, interesting, you said about the the European champs are moving more towards a sport model, um, because I had a little look on the site of the qualification for that as well when I was doing a bit of in depth uh, research for this, and they don't seem to have. It used to be able to qualify through Spartan Race for almost every single championship. That has taken off their qualification list now, so it looks like they are just picking events instead of the adventure model of you can just go to any event and qualify as per crossover, let's say. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's so brand qualification for sport events. This is an interesting, strange thing that's happened. Spartan race obviously is quite big, the biggest mm. globally in obstacle. Uh, they're in the most countries with the most races. The sport, wants is uh, honest, ethical, and legal about how it uh, approaches the sports structure. If you approach a brand and say, we would like you to be um, a qualifier for our stuff, so you, in the UK, you go to nuclear race, good example, since they do a lot mm-hmm. of stuff, and UK OSF says, could you be qualifier for our champs, or could you be our champs? And nuclear race says, that sounds great, um, then you're good. But if they don't say, if they don't say that sounds great, you don't have an agreement with them, you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what Europe did is they went to Spartan Race and said, can we use your events for qualifiers for our UK cha- for our uh, European championships? And um, they said, no, we don't want, we're not comfortable with that yet. Uh, so they took them off. Mm-hmm. Now, this is different from, uh, I, I really don't want to point fingers too much, but Adventure uses most of the qualifiers of Spartan Races, and Spartan Race is not okay with that. They're actually yeah. very unhappy with it. Uh, and yeah. they voice their concern. They haven't sent lawyers. They could because legally they can say no. Um, mm-hmm. But they're, they're also smart. They go, we don't want to piss anyone off, even though it's not okay. And they didn't even ask. But we're kind of pissed. So pissed off. So uh, they're just smart enough to realize that the athletes like the inventory stuff. And even if they didn't ask and it's not okay and it's not legal, but they'll still let them do it. Um, you, you, the European, our European Federation, which is the Association of European National Federations, uh, are doing a different way. They're saying we have to do it legally and ethically, so they won't allow the qualifiers unless it's okay by that brand. So you won't see a brand um, yeah. that has a qualifier unless it's okay by the brand. So yeah, it's yeah. just a, it's just an ethical, legal kind of thing where they just want to do it right. The same for world. We, you know, we're not going to say to anyone at all, you're a qualifier without them being okay. We don't actually, FISO doesn't do any qualifications 
Um, yeah. the qualif- well, the qualifications are all through the national federation, so it's up to them. And in some countries, they have the full systems already that are all federation. Italy, Spain, uh, there's a lot of countries that already do it, and they have full systems with full national qualifying uh, series and championships and rankings, and that's how you get to qualify, basically. In the, once the okay. system's mature for every country, it's a qualification system with rankings. That's how you kind of see who the best athletes are, right? And there's these mm-hmm. hodgepodge of rankings around the world that people put together in various forms that try and rank okay. athletes. And it's a sort of complicated-ish thing. Um, we're fortunate to have a brand, a commercial partner, uh, Sweatworks, that mm-hmm. is working with a, her, with a working group and commission to put together a global ranking system. Uh, fortunately, we have access uh, legally and ethically to a lot of data um, mm-hmm. with this company. Uh, there's all sorts of GDPR stuff around this, by the way. Um, yeah. another, another acronym, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so data protection and privacy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of data protect, protection and privacy stuff when you cross international borders and national borders that we have to be very aware of. So we have to, you know, we're very careful to consider the legal ramifications and privacy of individuals when we do this stuff. Um, but we're working mm-hmm. on an international ranking system that, uh, that crosses all countries. Oh, so wow. all countries with obstacle races, uh, what people will see at some point as soon as we can is, uh, a unified ranking system that's used by all the national federations to assist in selecting teams is what it really means. Um, and this is the qualification thing that Nicole was asking about, well, how do I qualify? So we, we work with the national federations if they don't have a system to assist them with a structure mm-hmm. to allow qualification. And it can be really simple, uh, but it can also be really complicated. The simplest version is you have a national champs, that's the qualifier, and you're placing that. But that's not really fair to the athletes because if you have an off day or an injury or your flight was cancelled, you're screwed. <laughs> to put it in plain American English, you're screwed um, yeah. because you couldn't make the champs. So the better system is you have a few, you know, a few options. You know, it generally looks like. Uh, so you select your best three performances out of five races also or whatever and then use those as your uh, ranking and that shows you who the athletes are plus the national champs because some superstar could emerge and beat everyone Mm. that's a kind of a general overview of qualification Um, so that's what we're working on are you kind of hoping to have the best of the best from each country represent at russia let's say next year is it a very elitist style is that what you want the best of the best and not just everyone. I mean, I know you're doing an open wave. I, I don't kind of understand why the open wave. I, I assume it's because of the money aspect of it. But for me, a championship shouldn't have an open wave. It should just be the best of the best, like in the Olympics. Well, that's right. Yeah. So the championship is the elite wave. That yeah. is the championship. So the world championships is the elite wave. Uh, now, what most sports typically do that have mass participation is they have uh, age group world championships. They're usually separated, but not always. They're sometimes combined. So you'll have, that's what we're currently doing. That's what uh, Spartan Race does and um, Strong Viking and Adventury. They do the same thing. Uh, they effectively have what you would call an age group world championships with an elite wave. The elite is the world championships. That is what you call the world championships. Uh, the age groups, they're also world championships, but they're age group world championships. So they're slightly different things, but often combined. So if you're the, uh, 20 to 24 female world championships completely valid because racing as a 20 to 24 year old is not the same thing as a uh, 
30 to 34 year old is definitely not the same as 55 plus or 60 plus. So they're different. You know, you're not competing. You're yeah. competing against people that you should compete against. Elite, of course, is any age. If you happen to be an absolute astonishing athlete at 40, uh, five, say, and you can beat someone who's 25, great. You're the world champion, uh, irrespective of age. So they're different things. The open is different again. Open is, well, we have capacity, possibly, to allow anyone to jump in and experience the stuff. They don't get awards. There's, there's just the experience. That's a valuable thing too. We did that in, in, uh, in Russia. Um, the world champs, there was practice day, uh, heats, semifinals, finals. That's the elites. Uh, mm-hmm. There's about 500 uh, competitive athletes doing that. And then there was another 4,000 people for the experience. And there's slightly different rules and slightly different procedures to how to run it. So in the elites, they're running two at a time through the rig, and that's the race. In the opens, because the rig is so big, they're going off every 30 seconds to a minute, and then the rig is full of people playing, you know, going through and enjoying it. Um, so it could be, you know, it could arguably be 24 people on the course at any one time on this giant ninja rig, uh, but not in the elites. It's just two people racing. Off they go, bang. And in Russia, I appreciate we're getting on for time now, Ian. Um, but in Russia, could you give us any sort of idea of what the actual structure of the race is going to be? Is it is it penalty loops? Is it banded? Is it do we do you know that yet? Have you made that up? Yes, yes, yeah. We already use it. We've been using it for a few years. Actually, the US mm-hmm. did it. Um, they were one of the the first uh, federations to do it in 2017. So we used a system that was developed in Europe for the 2016 European Championships, which is the three-band system. It's a little bit different. We, we cannot allow backups. Uh, waiting for an obstacle is not okay. So um, these endless attempts and giant queues of people waiting to do an obstacle is not racing. Standing in line is not racing. It's just not. <laughs> you don't stand in line in the 3K or, or a steeplechase and wait for someone to go over shit, you race. So we don't allow backups. No queuing at all, zero. Um, now that creates some interesting uh, course design and flow function things that we work on, plus rules, to your point. So it's a three-band system. If you, you must attempt all obstacles. If you do not attempt the obstacle, honestly, you are disqualified. No questions. This is where that marshalling comes in. You have to have a lot of really well-trained officials who are really good at what they do. Uh, so it's a DQ. You, you get onto a monkey bar and you don't wait the monkey bars, you're out. No questions. Done. So you get into the obstacle, you fail the obstacle, your band is cut off, takes more time, right? So now, oh shit, now I'm wasting some time. You lose a band. And if you get through the rest of everything, which hopefully you do, you've got two bands on your wrist and they, at the end of the race, right before the finish, very close to the finish, in view of the finish, someone looks at you, you show them your bands and you're missing a band, you have to do a penalty loop. Very short, very hard, uh, representative of an obstacle. So typically carrying a weight of some sort awkwardly uh, and running because that's, that's a pretty hard thing to do and it's awkward, but it's pretty quick. Most obstacles for good athletes are 10 seconds to 30 seconds so we figure a 30 second penalty running at the finish when you're all stressed out is a horrible brutal penalty which it is it's horrible it's it's a terrible thing to do at the end of a race um so you don't want to fail an obstacle because you have to do that if you lose two bands you have to do two loops now you're really stressed out because someone right behind you is going to pass you um so that's the that's the system the obstacles are not designed as failure obstacles 
they're hard. So elites shouldn't fail obstacles. I mean, if they slip up because they're going fast, they do something dumb or unexpected or they just, you know, kind of screw up somewhere. Um, that's normal racing. So you want them to be able to fail a couple of things. But in really good racing, when you're going head-to-head with good athletes, failing an obstacle, even if you continue through the obstacle, you kind of messed up your race anyway. These races can come down to seconds. So if it's really good tight racing, just the obstacle failure itself screwed your race. So they don't want to fail. At the elite level, failure is more like uh, fail the obstacle, kind of screwed the race. Um, So it doesn't really affect the race that much at the elite level. Uh, but it does prevent these, it prevents things that really are not acceptable in racing, waiting for someone. That's not okay. Uh, it can sort of be okay in some circumstances, like a single track trail, which we tend to avoid. Um, we call that the whole shot. You see it in mountain biking, some other sports. Um, it's sort of okay-ish, but it's also a tactical thing. If, if it's clearly what it is and you know it's there, it's a tactical thing for the race. Are you going to sprint up the hill to make the single track so you can get into the single track and not have to pass people? That's a, you know, that's a question. And that's a tactical racing decision. That kind of thing is a little bit like an obstacle. Like you see an obstacle and you think you might, there might be a little bit of a backup or you might have to, well, you're going to sprint for the obstacle. That's a better athlete. So these things, you don't want to see them very much, but if it's there, it needs to be very transparent, very clear and you explain to them, you get to this obstacle, there's a chance if you're not there first or early on, you might have to wait. So you put it in a tactical position in the course design to accommodate the ability to have good racing. Now, the opposite would be terrible racing where you say, we're going to have a giant multi-rig at the start. <laughs> that would screw the race, right? So you don't do that. Or we're going to have, you know, name something that would mess up the race. We're going to have a big wall at the start of the race. That's a bad idea. So we tend to do course flow and stuff for that. The rules are uh, the two-band system. If you lose three bands, oh, the timing. First across the line wins. So, um, uh, but you have to have a band, at least one band intact. Whether you've got one, two, or three bands, doesn't matter. If you cross the line first, you're the winner um, because everything's taken care of in the event. If you don't have a band at all, uh, you're ranked what we call DNC, did not complete, meaning the obstacles. So a DNC athlete is ranked below all other athletes with a band. So basically a DNC athlete, yep, they got a time, great. Uh, but all DNC athletes, then it's kind of game over for them because, yeah, they got the time, great. They get a finisher medal, fantastic. They did the course, that's what they want to do. Uh, but they lost three bands, so they, you know, they, they didn't make the, the full, the, the top level ranking. So there's a series of rankings. So completed the event, um, they completed all the obstacles or enough obstacles and then DNC and then below that would be DNF did not finish um, or DSQ disqualified gosh more ac- acronyms how about that they're normal in sport by the way all those acronyms are normal yeah, I really like that idea of racing. I think, and if you can get the course right and the obstacles good, I think you're going to get those top athletes because that style of racing is interesting. Like, I could just yeah. imagine a couple of the top guys now, like an Aaron Neal who loves his obstacles. He's going to really want to go at that because he knows that he can do obstacles. That he knows he's quicker, or he thinks he's quicker than most people on obstacles. Whereas like John Alvin, who's a little bit more tactical with it, how he goes from steady and doesn't fail, you know, but he can run quicker. So I think, yeah. Um, are you going to do it like Euros? Is it going to be a um, more of a rig style race? Oh, yes. Yeah, a lot more like Euros because 
obstacle course racing, we believe, and athletes tend to like, uh, it's more about the really good obstacles, really good, fun, technically sort of obstacles. Not nearly as much as Poland or Denmark. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of dialing it back a little bit because uh, Poland, as James knows, because James and I ran around the courses, and James is good at obstacles, and uh, yeah. we couldn't get through them. We just gave up eventually in Poland. Um, you know, your hands get torn up and 70 technical rig obstacles. There's a lot of freaking obstacles. That's, that's a DNF that is surely. <laughs> oh gosh. That's, that's, that's a lot. So we, we, we dial it back. It's a part of its regulation uh, by uh, what people will accept for games, uh, people, what the organizations will accept for games. Racing mm-hmm. is not about failure. That's, that is a, that's valid competition. Failure competition is valid. American Ninja Warrior TV show is a failure often failure competitions but this is the way that these formats not the sport but these formats for the sport workers if it's a race it's not failure you don't see people failing at the 100 meters or the marathon you know people drop out of the marathon but a few people drop out of marathons but at the elite level that's more uh they got injured or you know got overheated or you know something happened um but it's not they can still finish it's like iron man you know iron man's hard but it's not about failure. It's about how fast can you go? And all ra- that's what racing is. That is the definition of racing. It's the fastest. It's not the failureist. It's the fastest. So you don't just keep ratcheting it up until people always fail. If you've got, this is a question that Europe's been asking a lot is, well, what, what is our acceptable failure rate? And when, yeah. when FISO jumps in, we say zero, technically zero. No one should, be, no one should fail. It's not about failure. It's about fast. It's about speed and racing. Uh, you don't fail a trail race. You don't fail a cycling race. You don't fail. You might, you might drop out. You might, something might happen. You might break something, but that's different from failure. Design failure is different. We're not designing the courses for people to fail. I think I saw in UK someone pointed out, uh, oh, uh, Klaus did stats. Klaus Dietz from uh, Dokra, Denmark, did stats mm-hmm. on uh, the adventure race in uh, uh, nuclear, and I think the women's open uh, or age group f- completion was failure was eighty yeah. nine percent or something. Yeah. Does that sound about right? That's, that was right. I can tell you now. Even the even the pros, even the top five women in the world were, were all over the place. That's interesting format i mean i mean it's a valid format if that's what they want to do but it's not racing so we we don't do that um i mean i guess define racing but it's not up to us to define it it's we, we don't define it it's defined by the sport like the big the big guys olympic committee and that kind of people mm-hmm. so we what we do is we do racing racing is fast racing is about the fastest best athletes the most athletic strongest most adapted athletes so they're aerobically developed They've got good balance, good athleticism, good grip strength, all the things you need to be a really good athlete. It favors them. It's not the most technically strongest person because that would be a different thing. We're just the most balanced athlete. John is a good example. The good, all the top athletes are great examples. Aerobically developed, great skills, grip strength. Um, you know, they can do a lot of sports really well. They can win world championships in trail racing. They can, uh, we've seen, we've got Olympic climbers and gymnasts and people who are absolutely superstars in their sports are starting to migrate into obstacle because it favors this overall athlete. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, go on, Luke, go on. 
Um, in Russia, uh, for the Sochi event, will you be live streaming it or putting on TV or recording the, uh, the event in some way? We, we are. We did it in Sochi is we did it in Moscow. Um, it's full TV production. So in Moscow, uh, it was a TV company, a TV production company, full production, uh, broadcast mm-hmm. into Russia, um, and region and the region TV. I don't remember what channel one or something, whatever the channel is. And so it's a full TV truck. If you go to any um, sporting event, football would be a good example. In football, you don't see it, but behind the scenes is a TV truck, um, uh, often wired into the stadium broadcast system, which is like mm-hmm. also fiber optics and cameras and stuff. It's kind of like that. So we had 12 cameras um, set up uh, with uh, a director in, uh, we call it a TV truck, but basically it's a production it's a TV production studio mm. and there's directors, producers, camera, uh, uh, hosts, interviewers, sideline reporters. We have all of that. That's the full TV production. So that's part of the system because it has to be visible. We're mm-hmm. in post-production right now. We did a, a live stream, which was well-viewed actually, but not very well advertised <laughs> for our Ninja Race in uh, Ninja World Champs in Moscow this year. Um, post-production is very important. Post-production means you gather lots of footage and we have just a silly amount of footage because you've got 12 cameras running for lots of hours. You get a lot of footage and then you edit that down into stuff that people want to watch. We did a very quick and dirty, what we call a quick and dirty cut or a, um, a, a rap video we use. Mm-hmm. We, the rap video is produced very quickly, uh, edited very fast. We showed that at the closing ceremony. So it's done that fast. We finished the race. Oh, wow. The final athletes cross the line. They walk over, get their medals. They go straight to the awards. The awards are very fast. We aim to get all awards done in 20 minutes or less. There would be a full set of like uh, 66 medals across all in one event. It would be 66 medals. They have to be done in about 20 minutes. So the oh, awards wow. are very fast. Um, and then there's a, the rap video gets shown at the awards. So we want this whole thing to be over in 30 minutes so people don't get bored. Basically, it's fun. Awards should be super fun. A flag yeah. ceremony, uh, fireworks, uh, just like you see at Olympic Games. Oh, amazing. Sounds like it is going to be some event, Ian. Um, we have taken up. Yeah, I'm actually quite excited to see what it will be. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time this morning, Ian. So uh, we will... Call it there, unless Jack, you've got any more questions. I think I'm there. I mean, the only other question I know I have was about the drug testing and and this oh, yes, the yes or yeah, no. We do, uh, we do. So yeah, so we use uh, we do full water compliant drug testing. Uh, brands use third parties. So uh, water is the international system. Yeah. We use Nados. They're national. Oh, gosh, more acronyms. <laughs> national. <laughs> um, they're the national um, anti-doping authorities. Yeah. So NADO, National Anti-Doping uh, Organization, uh, we do it at the SEA Games and qualifiers. We've been doing this for a year with the Philippine um, Anti-Doping Authority, which is part of the water system, World Anti-Doping Authority. This is the official one that you see all around the world for the Olympics. Uh, it's a big, it's a big, well-thought-out, precise system, and we do doping controls. That's where we take the samples, and then testing where we take it to uh, the actual water accredited labs. It can be done. It is often done by third parties. Uh, Spartan, I think uses the world something association of water, whatever, but that's a, that's a commercial enterprise. We use the non-commercial Olympic ones. 
So doping control is very, very important for fairness. Don't want dopers out there. So Epic. we're establishing a culture of zero tolerance. Epic. That answers my question. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for coming on, Ian. It's been a pleasure, as always, to chat to you. And uh, it was very enlightening with the acronyms to write those down. Um, <laughs> well, we kind of hope people uh, have a better understanding now. And maybe yes. this is the second time I've had Ian on. And this time, especially, he's been talking about, you know, the Federation and more towards Russia. But in general, we're hoping people listen to this. And yes, it's, you know, an hour and a half. But we hope that people listen to this and understand a lot more about you, Ian, and the Federation. And hopefully this will shed a bit of light on on the differences in the different situations. Well, yeah, something please. for everyone. We we don't we, we don't want to clash. If you want more information, worldocr.org. Uh, sports stuff like fairness, anti-doping, transgender, uh, all of those sport functions, safety, medical. That's under the sport menu of worldocr.org, and then world championships stuff under championships, and you'll see mm. world championships and qualification is the next item on the menu. That has some explanation about how to qualify. That will have more information as we keep moving forward with the contacts. So if you mm -hmm. come from the UK, you will have a contact and you contact them for your qualification. Perfect. Thank you. Ian, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. You've been absolutely awesome. Um, go and enjoy the rest of your day and your hopefully sunny sun. And um, yeah, we'll catch up with you hopefully later in the year. All right, guys. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Cheers, Ian. Thanks, thank you very much. Cheers. Good, good day. This is Nicole Miracle, and you've been listening to OCR. Oh, sorry. <laughs> OCR Audio. What do you want me to say? OCR Audio Podcast? <laughs> but that, that's what it is, right? OCR Audio Podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is. Sorry. <laughs> this is Nicole Miracle. And you've been listening to OCR Audio Podcast.